The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, Biscuit listeners, and welcome to another freshly baked edition of the Biscuit Podcast. Celebrating Charlotte's creativity every week, I'm your host, Andy Go. On today's episode of The Biscuit, we've got two segments that you're going to hear. In the first segment, we hear Charlotte producer and rapper Royal City Leaf talk about his recently released EP, More Major, on the segment we like to call Liner Notes. More Major is Leaf's first EP, but he created almost the entire project himself, writing, rapping, sampling, and arranging each of the six tracks on the project. In the EP, Leaf explores themes of self-realization and constant evolution over lush, multi-instrumental arrangements. In the second segment, we revisit writer Jonathan McFadden's conversation with Levine Museum of the New South staff historian Dr. Willie Griffin. In the second part of a three-part series, Jonathan and Dr. Griffin talk about the root causes of gentrification and what happens to the populations who face displacement. Let's take a listen. So my actual name is Khalid Guiden, um, Khalid J. Guiden, so Khalid Jovan Guiden. The reason why I emphasize the J is because I had a brother that passed away prior to me, um, and his name was Jovan, so in honor of him, keep the J there. Um, and then my actual artist name is Royal City Leaf. Um, the way I got that name is the Royal City Collective is a company that pretty much started a brand, so in regards to repping that, um, and then everyone calls me Leaf at towards the end of my name, Khalif. Um, so I just threw it all together, um, and it kind of sounded pretty cool. <laughs> but one day, um, my cousin actually bought a small basketball, and we were in the, the hallway playing, and my ball r- rolled into my grandmother's room, and she was playing a record by Isaac Hayes, Walk On By. And I, I don't know if you heard that, Walk On, Walk course, On. Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's a classic, but that was my first time even hearing that song. And for some reason... I was running into her room to go grab the ball and heard it and was just stuck. I was just stuck. I think I might have forgot to even get the ball. Like <laughs> I was just there listening. And I remember that was the day when I was like, man, like I've never had something hit me that way. So from that day on, I've literally been a music head, but more so on the side of just being a fan of music and just soaking it all in. Tell that girl come round my way Shades on my eyes cause the lights in my face Seeing staring at me trying to study on my way Let's talk about the money, you should never chase the fame New levels every day when I move through the game But now it's crazy, they try to change me What more major means is I have this belief that, you know, everything we should do We should do at, to the best of our ability But then the next thing we do should be even better than the last Right, so where the name more major comes from is that everything needs to be a little bit more major the next time you do it, but every move needs to be major. So, um, you know, more major really is it's just about elevating as a person, um, whether that's internal, external. What it is, it's, you know, from track one all the way to track six, it's just about, um, you know, the transition from really realizing, hey, this is what I want to do, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm trying to go, 
and just kind of those growing pains, um, those emotions that come along with that. So more major is just a representation of, of really just new levels and, and really reaching for the best version of yourself. I think that's the best way I could explain that. Another night I can't rest. Keep going till there's nothing left. Close my eyes, reach for the sky. Open up and I manifest. So, uh, E pretty much means you know elevate and levitate just blended on those together um but you know really it's I, I put that one first because it was one of the first tracks i recorded but then also too it, it really inspired all the rest of the tracks on the project and um you levitate i mean really it's about um you know the choruses you know levitate levitate flex and, and really what it is is just that whether you meditate, whether you, you know, do whatever it is just to kind of get you to that moment of realization, that self-realization that, hey, you know, I should be doing X, Y, Z or, um, you know, here are certain sacrifices that I've made to kind of become a better person or to reach this goal or um, to accomplish a certain thing. You know, Elevated is pretty much that within is the message within that song. Right. So. Um, a lot of my verse and, and a lot of the chorus kind of talks about where I am and kind of where I'm going and, and where I'm trying to reach. And I feel like that was just appropriate after um, that first intro piece to kind of just drop that track. So what I was going for with that track is after the elevation, after the levitation, is now you're on another level, right? So literally, um, and I wanted that to almost feel grand, but at the same time, I wanted it to be in your face. I wanted it to rock. I also wanted it to bump when you played it, um, whether it's in the venue or whether it's in your car or through the headphones. I wanted that that 808, I wanted those kicks to really hit, but not to be overpowering, but then those pianos and that, that vocal sample in the background. I'm even better because I learned from my losses. Compensated for the time that it cost us. Now it's the offer to live large and that's I call um, And then also, too, is something to, to celebrate at the same time, right? When you're on another level or you reach a new level in life, it's time to celebrate. And I feel like every W, you need to take a moment and, and just kind of cherish that and, if, and just say, hey, man, I'm actually at a place to where, you know, I've grown since the last time I kind of checked in. And I think that's what we all need to be doing at the end. Not only the, the literal switch in the beat, but just kind of that switch within myself as a person, right? Just when I, the moment I get it to where it's like, all right, this is, this is where I'm at now, you know? And really that's what that beat switch is for because it does start off really calm to where you have the vocal in the back singing. And then there's a transition moment where it's, uh, it's like a, a reggae vocal, um, just kind of leading into, as a transition, leading into that second part. Um, and then that beat kind of drops, right? And and that's pretty much what that representation of is like, all right, I, I've done the reflection and I'm at a point now to where it's like, all right, I understand where I'm at and now it's time, you know, it's time to take advantage of, of who I am as a person and, 
and really go forward and try to conquer the world. And, and that's what payoff is. It's like, man, you know, you're hesitating for what, you know, um, you do all of this planning, you pray all the time. Uh, I feel like I'm confident in my skills and things like that. So I feel like as everyone, as people, we need to be able to look in the mirror and say, hey, we have the skills already placed within us to accomplish whatever it is we want to accomplish whatever that vision is was given to us for a reason right there's certain things that resonate with each person with myself um for a particular reason and and that's kind of what payoff represents and that b switch is like man all right i get it now it's time to really go after it So you've got a couple of lyrics in here that seem super personal. Um, in one of the lyrics, you talk about having not been to church since your dad died. And I haven't been to church since my grandfather died. Watched away them sins with them tears I cried. Had a glass of In another lyric, you say that you replay old voicemails of lost loved ones on your phone that reminds you that every day is a new song. Replaying a message of lost ones through my old phones reminds me why every single day is a new song. Many times I stray, but I pray that I don't lose home. Even when it's tough, I pray that I don't lose hope. The thing that really inspired those two lyrics was my grandfather. So the reason I even moved back to Charlotte was because my grandfather turned 90. And um, I was in St. Louis at the time. So for me, it was like, man, he's 90. I'll never get that time back if I make an excuse not to spend time with him. So I moved back and when I moved back every day, I have every day when I have free time, I was in his room just getting all these gems because he was always sharp minded. So he always told me these stories about pretty much where we came from, um, about who, like how I was as a child growing up, all these different things that I feel like a lot of people don't take the time and sit still to kind of get. So. Um, you know, after he passed away, I had not been to church just because um, he went to church every day. So a lot of times I get in a, a weird space when I'm in there because that's, all, that's the only person I'm thinking about. But at the same time, um, you know, I have this belief to where as much as I pray, I don't feel like I necessarily have to be inside of a church all the time. Um, and I know that those words that he shared with me, all those experiences, stories, they feed me on a daily basis to where I feel like I'm truly blessed um, in, in every circumstance. And and those voicemails, so that lyric about the voicemails, I have a phone, I actually have a couple old phones where during that time I would record them, I would take voice memos of us talking. Um, I had uncles and things like that, cousins, friends that passed throughout the time um, where I still have their voices on these voicemails and never deleted them. And it really wasn't on purpose for the reason why I didn't delete it, but just never really went back to organize those things. And, you know, sometimes I go back and, and play these things and listen to them. And most of the message always are most of the messages are always positive. So I go back and a lot of them are encouraging, you know, just keep going, keep doing what you're doing. I'm proud of you. Things like that. And those feed me because those are the people that I cherish the most. And even though sometimes those people aren't here physically, I still feel like they're around me watching over me and and allowing me and, and pointing me in certain directions for these different opportunities. And once again, for my music to be heard, my art to be heard. And I definitely don't take that for granted. So every time, um, you know, I can honor them, whether it's in a verse, whether it's a line, 
um, whether it's a performance, whatever it is, I'm going to make sure I do that and, and make sure I'm very real about what they mean to me and kind of how they feed me and, and, and make me who I am today. Welcome to the Royal City, home of the ultimate sound. Gives you that feel, man. Like it, it just has that bounce to where as soon as it comes on, you know you, you want to nod your head a little bit. And more major, the reason why I ended the EP with that title track is because at the end of the day, of all these things of you know elevating and getting to another level and reflecting on levels of life and and all these different things, you want to celebrate. You got to celebrate the wins. And I feel like at the end of levels of life, I'm at a moment to where all these life experiences, all these thoughts that I have, my most intimate thoughts, all these things feed me as a person and pretty much where I'm going and have an influence on every step that I take. And for me, I'm very, very intentional about making sure that each move is my best move. And when I get to a point to where I see something as being a win or a W for me, I want to celebrate, and that's whether with my friends, whether that's just with family, whatever it is. And more major is just one of those things where it's like, man, I, I'm going to just have fun. I'm going to have fun with this. You know, I didn't think about that track too heavy. Um, it, it came up really quick. It was just a melody that just popped up in my head as, as I was making the beat. And I was like, man, you know what? This is this is the one right here. I need to end this, this EP with more major. And it's really just that feeling of, all right, you know what? We did all the hard work. You know, there's still some work to do, but th we did the hard work. So let's take a moment and celebrate and just have a good time. And as you could tell on that track, when you listen to it, um, you know, even my cadence is a little bit more relaxed than, than the other tracks. And um, it's not too heavy when it comes to line for line as the other tracks. But at the same time, it gives you that feel of like, man, I could actually ride to this and I could and I could just cruise and, and just let this play, you know, over and over and more major is just that feeling for me where, you know, when it's all said and done, you do all the hard work, all the sacrifices, um, you get to a point to where it's like, you know what, let's celebrate where we at right now and, and then look forward to what we have coming next. Take me and bring me to higher places because everything is more major, more flavors, more paper, trying to run it every day. You can find me on everything at Royal City Leaf. That is Royal City L I F. Also, you can go to theroyalcity.com. That is T H E R Y L C T Y.com. In February 2019, 120 businesses, most of them Black-owned, were told they had to vacate their office space at the City North Business Center at 1801 North Tryon Street in the Lockwood neighborhood. The business owners were told the complex had been sold to a developer and they had two months to vacate. My name is Jonathan McFadden, a local writer and journalist here in Charlotte, and in April I wrote about this displacement in The Biscuit. Over the next three weeks, we're going to share a conversation I had with Dr. Willie Griffin, staff historian at Levine Museum of the New South. We'll talk about what gentrification is, what it's not, and how it's been part of Charlotte's past, present, and will be part of its future. Let's take a listen. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Willie Griffin. Uh, we're going to examine the history of gentrification in Charlotte and what it looks like today. Uh, so Dr. Griffin, if you could, could you give us a historic overview of what gentrification has looked like in the Queen City? Um, 
so I guess I, I would say that it probably didn't begin until the the mid 20th century in terms of gentrification. Historically, you've had, uh, and we're talking about African-Americans. Um, I remember our last conversation, there was race and then there was class. Um, but historically, African-Americans have lived in um, a, a few neighborhoods. They've been Greenville, they've been Biddleville, there's been Second Ward, which is Brooklyn, and parts of uh, First and Third Ward, and then Cherry, the Cherry community. Um, historically, those were the um, most historically African-American neighborhoods. Um, you don't begin to see any change to those neighborhoods until um, urban renewal begins to, to really take take effect. Um, and so urban renewal was um, a federal government um, um, program that really began to take shape in the 1940s um, um, as a result of, really began to take shape in the 1930s um, as a result of the New Deal. Um, but it doesn't really begin to um, physically take shape in Charlotte until um, the, really the late 1940s, early 1950s, um, when you see, um, um, you know, the, a lot of this was shaped by people who were involved, businessmen, real estate businessmen, who saw the city, saw opportunities um, to get government money to what, what they call clear urban blight. Um, first, mm -hmm. you had to get these neighborhoods designated as blighted. And so by the 40s and 50s, um, this is post-World War II, um, and you know the um, economic boom that happened after mm -hmm. World War II, um, many of the industries, um, and this is all around the country, they begin to leave urban centers. Um, skyscrapers have become a new big thing. And so um, after these industries began to leave um, places like um, 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 Brooklyn or uptown, um, the land became very valuable. Um, and so um, there were hundreds of, of black business owners in these places, um, some of some a lot of black renters as well, but a lot of also um, black homeowners. Um, and so as they begin to leave, um, Brooklyn. Brooklyn is the first place that experiences this. Um, fast forward, um, I guess, so many of the African Americans who left would go to formerly um, 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 place areas of the city that um, necessarily had not had any real um, development. Um, places like where I grew up in um, Lincoln Heights, it used to be mm -hmm. called Furtown. Um, there were no no roads in Furtown. There were um, dirt roads. There were no um, city services in terms of garbage cleanup. Um, and so by the 1950s, um, African-Americans began to populate um, Betisford Road. All along the side Betisford Road, you had um, neighborhoods that popped up like University Park, Lincoln Heights, mm -hmm. Oakland Park. Um, and so um, older neighborhoods that had been um, sort of leading into that west side corridor at Biddleville and Washington Heights were founded in the 19-teens. Um, and so you also had um, establishments or neighborhoods like Double Oaks. Double Oaks um, was founded in the late 1940s or mid, early 1940s. Um, and African-Americans also began to populate neighborhoods like Druid Hills, which had, had formerly been um, working class um, white neighborhoods. Um, and so they went out to other places um, like Hidden Valley um, in the in the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, and so I guess if you fast forward to 2000, the turn of the, the 21st century, you begin to see places like um, like Cherry. Cherry became a, a community that was targeted because of its close proximity to mm -hmm. Uptown. Um, and Cherry was was originally founded um, as a neighborhood for um, domestic workers um, who worked for um, the affluent in Myers Park. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, those neighborhoods, after you know it became 
not in vogue to have people traveling from, you know, those neighborhoods became primarily working class. And um, I'm trying to think what, what other neighborhoods. So, I mean, I, I think that that's sort of a good start. Right, for sure. Mm-hmm. So the effects of urban renewal, I think most people will agree, were mm-hmm. devastating for African-American mm-hmm. communities. Uh, can you give us a little, uh, I guess, a little overview of kind of what happened to the community in Charlotte, mm-hmm. African-Americans in Charlotte, um, economically, socially, within families? Mm-hmm. Like, Because once you're displaced from your home, that creates a really huge like schism right. in, in the community. Yeah, so um, Brooklyn was really the urban, it was a center. It was a center of, of black life in the city. Um, so you lose the sort of foundation. Um, there were ch- a, a network of churches all throughout Brooklyn. Um, there were movie theaters. There were businesses. Um, and many of those businesses um, could not find, I mean, so they had ready, a readily available, um, um, a, 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 I guess, people who frequented the, those businesses, mm-hmm. the people, patrons. And so when you lose that close-knit network of patrons and you're scattered and you're forced to go out throughout the city, it's going to be hard to try to maintain that same level of business um, once you leave and disperse. And there were some um, businesses that were able to survive. Um, if you want to look at a church as a business, they would obviously be able to survive. You had um, mortuary services, um, which would survive. And so but other um, businesses would have a hard time getting off the ground. You know, how would you go out and start a new corner store? Um, or how would you go out and start a movie theater if you don't have, um, you know, access to a large population mm-hmm. of people who are going to frequent that? Um, so uh, I think you you lost that that center. You lost um, black schools. Um, schools were um, the, the primary schools in Second Ward uh, High School was the, the oldest black high school in the city. You lost... Um, I forget the other name of the school. It was um, um, so you, you lost you lost a number a number of schools and and local churches and clubs um, like fraternal network um, fraternal fraternal um, sororities and, mm-hmm. and and those kinds of um, meeting places were gone. Restaurants were gone. And we've seen that phenomenon perpetuated mm-hmm. over the the decades because right. even now, fast forward to 2019, and you know the whole impetus for our conversation is what right. happened in Lockwood. And so you have a group of people who are trying to hold on to the vestiges right. of their community mm-hmm. but it seems as if they could be losing the battle right because right. again money capital all those things are are the so yeah and I, I think factors. that's really interesting because here you have a, a situation where um, African Americans have seemingly begun to try to get on their feet again and there there's a, this effort among African Americans it's a, it's a thing now to go out and want to start your own business mm-hmm. and you're looking for places that are affordable to help you um, you know um, gain a foothold in in this entrepreneurship this entrepreneurial world you know and so when you get when you find an affordable place and then as soon as you try to get established I don't know how long um, the, the, this place had been um, gosh it, it was constructed in 1933 I'm not sure exactly how long it had in housing businesses but it had been mm-hmm. for a long for right. a while for a while yeah so and, and and so you see these these people and then all of a sudden um, yeah I, I remember reading your article and it was talking about a, a tailor a, a guy who made yep. clothes right g3 concepts and, yeah yep. and so he very well could have been a tailor in in Brooklyn you know, mm-hmm. and so those kinds of places um, could have lost their businesses um, during the urban renewal. And so now here it is. You have fast forward a couple of decades and an African-American is trying to st- start another business like this and he's having to leave. And so I just remember reading about his struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's having to um, start his business, go back to and, and, and work from his home. 
um, where he, whereas before he was centrally located and people had had started to know and, and make a he make made a name for himself and people were frequenting frequenting his business and now he's having to start over from square one and so um, I, I don't think that that's un, not unlike many of the stories that you would have seen come out of the urban renewal situation in Brooklyn. So I, I know you're a historian and not a sociologist, <laughs> <Sure>. but <laughs> historically, what have we observed or what have you observed people who are in those same positions? How do they move on? What is the next step for them? Because I mean, if you take away my affordable space and I'm trying to launch mm -hmm. a business and I'm a startup and I really can't, you know, I don't have the capital to buy this class A office space in Uptown, what's next? Like what have, how have people in the African-American community or other low-income communities have been able to move on and to manage once they've been removed? Yeah, I, I probably really couldn't answer that. I, but but I, what I would say is that um, they've been resilient, you know, mm -hmm. in most cases, and they'll find a way um, to, to get back on their feet. Um, um, I, I, I just couldn't really answer that. Right. You know, it's it's kind of hard. Um, so I know we were talking earlier about how gentrification isn't something that's necessarily going away. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what 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 is the future looking like right now, especially for our city? Um, I, yeah, we had a we had a conversation about this. So I don't think it's going away. I think um, what has changed about gentrification is that um, when urban renewal really took effect, um, this was mostly led by um, those people who saw opportunities, who had the cash flow to to play a part in it. Um, gentrification today, you'll see many African Americans who are on the development side now, mm -hmm. um, who are taking apart. So um, that's not to say that the civil rights movement, the civil rights movement, um, helped a large portion of the African American community. Um, but and so you, they, you won't see them as um, some of them. You may see them as the face of this new gentrification, um, especially if they're coming from out of town. But most often, if they're local and they're getting in, um, I mean, we talk. African Americans don't really like to. We don't talk, like to talk about our money, right? You know, and so um, you sure. won't see a lot of them um, um, saying that. Well, you know, this is not about uh, race anymore. This is just gentrification. It, they can. Just, many of them are hiding behind this terminology. Mm. Um, but there has been some some benefits of the civil rights movement. And so um, I just think that, you know, African-American, uh, there are large swaths of African-American who have been left behind, who don't understand um, that, you know, this is a, this is the way that society is going to continue mm -hmm. to develop. And unless you are involved in um, starting a business, entrepreneurship or real estate and understanding the dynamics of it. Um, you can very easily get bogged down into these conversations about whether gentrification is racist or whether gentrification is, you know, this and that. And, you know. I think that's a very interesting perspective because I, I think a lot of people attach a very negative connotation to right. the word gentrification and to the to the effects and the aftermath. And we again, like we talked about before, those are the things that make the racialization of it makes mm -hmm. the headlines. Right. Um, are historically have there been good benefits have there been any benefits have there's had there been any good results because of gentrification um <laughs> anything good to come out of it at all <laughs> anything at all <laughs> I, wow um i think there are pros and cons to everything um i think the mm, wow the earliest forms of gentrification urban renewal um, of course you lost a, a sense of community um, but I, I do think that um, in Charlotte, particularly, um, 
you know, we've talked about this, um, the negative effects of um, home ownership and getting um, FHA loans um, through the federal government. And Charlotte, Charlotte is unique because there were a number of African Americans who were able to secure FHA loans. Um, and in places like University Park, in places like my neighborhood, Lincoln Heights. I mean, some African-Americans were able to secure these FHA loans and, and get and, and, you know, establish themselves as homeowners. So I think that that's maybe one positive that, that does get overlooked. Mm-hmm. And it, it may not have been the case in other places. Um, I, it really, again, this is not my area, but um, I, I, that could very well be the case in a number of other cities. But here in Charlotte, I, I found that that was really unique because um, it sort of um, – it um, sort of goes away from this narrative that the policies, the federal government's policies, were um, just totally racist, and 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 they kept African Americans away from home ownership. And so there was some positives, I think. Um, not many, but <laughs> right, <laughs> right, not many. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Back to the earlier conversation that it's not always racialized. Right. Um, no duh was not a historically African American neighborhood. It was a working class, um, white neighborhood. The um, the mills closed down. You have these artists who see these properties that are dilapidated. There's an opportunity to come in and 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 create spaces to create new art. Um, and um, once it becomes known as a place of um, the North, um, was it this North Davidson Art Arts District? I think it was called, mm-hmm. um, and that becomes fashionable. You know, people come in and they see these old homes that were um, well constructed. Um, Thank you, everyone. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, join us next week as we talk a little bit more about the causes of gentrification and shifting the narrative in Charlotte. Thanks again to Jonathan McFadden, Dr. Willie Griffin, and Royal City Leaf for speaking with us. Most importantly, thank you, the listener, for tuning into the Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have today for today's episode of the Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to the Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating or review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell them yourself. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to the Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit Podcast is produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Goh. Music by Harvey Cummings.